there's a very specific feeling that creeps up on Sundays. It can start out with a general feeling of being unsettled or restless. The anxiety grows until, boom, you've caught it. The Sunday scaries. If this is you, I can help. My name is Dora Kamau. I'm a meditation and mindfulness teacher at Headspace and the host of a new Spotify-exclusive podcast called The Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries is out now. Tap the banner to listen for free right here on Spotify. In February 1913, British racing driver Percy Pearly Lambert took the land speed record, the first person to drive 100 miles in an hour at the Brooklands racetrack in Surrey. This was still the age of the horse. Percy's achievement was like landing on the moon. Within months, though, a French team bettered his effort, forcing Percy to try and win back his crown. In those days, drivers sat on the car, not in it. No safety belt, no helmet even. On his 21st lap at Brooklands, a rear tyre burst on Percy's speeding car sending it somersaulting across the steep, banked track. Percy was thrown from his seat, fracturing his skull, dying on the way to hospital. The, the day before his accident, he'd promised his girlfriend that the, the day was going to be his final day of racing. He was due to get married in a couple of weeks, he was engaged, and he'd told his fiancée that this would be the last time I attempt a record. Oh God, and it was. Uh, and it was the last time he attempted the record. Oh this is Mark. He's in his mid-twenties, glasses, charmingly geeky, a writer and motorsports nerd. These guys were uh, incredibly brave. You know, Percy was obviously a daredevil, really, of his time. And, and he doesn't believe in ghosts. Thrill-seekers came to Brooklands, I suppose, and part of the danger was maybe part of the thrill, but unfortunately also part of the reality, uh, as a number of drivers found out here. So can we see from here where Percy died? From here, yes. So as we look out onto the, uh, the members' banking, it wouldn't have been that far from us, probably maybe 250 yards just straight in front at the top of the banking. The but right now, we're walking together across the ruined concrete of a long-dead racetrack to the place where Percy Lambert crashed. Because that's where Mark saw Percy's ghost. This is haunted. Do ghosts exist? If not, why do we see them? Episode 3. The 100 mile an hour ghost. Brooklyn's racetrack lies in the quiet Surrey countryside outside London. It was the world's first purpose-built motor racing track. Le Mans, the Indy 500, Formula One, this is where it all started. The Indianapolis track was directly inspired by it. These days, only a section of the track remains, kept alive as a museum by car enthusiasts. It's a sunny autumn morning as I arrive to meet Mark. A solitary magpie greets me. 
one for sorrow. And as I get my first glimpse of an almost impossibly steep concrete bank, I feel a shiver. This is a place of death. During only 28 years of active racing, 17 people died. Not just drivers, but spectators too. Feels strange being down here. It's this beautiful sunny day, and now the track's surrounded by all these lovely trees dropping all their autumnal colours onto the track, but you also get a sense of just how dangerous it was. This is such a steep bank here. It feels, I mean, it's almost too steep to walk up. Yeah, the trees are perhaps a little deceptive. They give it a very pleasant kind of easy going feel, I suppose. But yeah, on race day, when all of these trees would have been right at the top of the banking, obviously cut back a lot more, they'd have presented a real risk to the drivers because to get the top speeds, you want to go up kind of as, as high on the banking as you can really. At that point, the margin for error really diminishes because as a number of drivers found out, if you put a wheel over it or, or go too far to one side, you're in you know, a lot of trouble. Mark has been coming to Brooklyn since he was a kid. I think he's obsessed with it. He's written a novel about the place, The Ghost at Brooklyn's Museum. It was meant to be fiction. But more on that later. I mean, safety was really not a consideration <laughs> at all in any shape or form. So when Percy Lambert was racing here, he'd been racing in essentially horse racing gear. If you had an accident, you didn't have seat belts, you were in real trouble if you went off. It's oddly affecting this place like the ruins of some gladiatorial arena, where crowds once flocked to see young men risk their lives and suffer violent ends. Nos morituri te salutamus. We who are about to die salute you. And over the years, there have been stories that the fallen rise again. Mark collects these stories. He tells me of some of the sightings here, Spectres of drivers who crashed into trees, long-dead mechanics and ghostly motorcycle daredevils. Seen by people who don't believe in ghosts. I suppose one of the things that's quite nice about Brooklyn's is it attracts hardy engineering types who are, you know, let's say, are often quite cynical about you know, what might be regarded as fictitious stories. We, we call them nerds. Yeah. <laughs> people who like their cars <laughs> to a very uh, a high level. So... You know, a number of people who've been involved in Brooklyn who are maybe of those kind of hardy, slightly cynical types <laughs> have, you know, ghost stories. There was a guy who ran security here for a number of years who said he heard a, a crashing bang at the top of Test Hill really, really loud. It sounded like there'd been an accident, ran out, and there was nothing there. And, you know, said he could never give a, you know, what might be regarded as a normal reason as to why he'd heard that noise. And there's accounts of this nature all across Brooklyn's, you know, where Brooklyn's is now, a number of retail estates have been built up on, on what was the track. And there's been stories of ghosts running through the supermarkets, which are now at the Brooklyn site. There's stories of houses which are built on the Brooklyn's race circuit where people have seen ghosts driving through, the, through their houses. I love these details. The speeding ghosts who ignore such inconveniences as someone building shops or houses on their beloved track. But there is one figure who people say they see more often than any other. Percy. Inside the museum, I've seen photos of him. A moon face with a toothy grin that earned him the nickname Pearly. A driving cap and goggles on his head. Happy, unprepared for death. The story goes that his silent, um, ghostly figure walks along the track, which is 
at the spot where he was tragically killed, uh, doesn't interact with anyone, just walks for a, an extended period of time and then evaporates into thin air, basically. These aren't isolated sightings. They're frequent and always strikingly similar in their details. A lonely figure in white overalls, walking forlornly along the track. Percy's Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrow, his circuit of death. It's the quantity which really perplexes me. There's been so many in such a small area, it does make you ask bigger questions as to why people see all these things. One person who's familiar with the Brooklyn's hauntings is Alan Murdy. He's the chairman of the Ghost Club, the oldest organisation in the world dedicated to researching the paranormal and a senior member of the world-famous Society for Psychical Research, which once counted Sherlock Holmes's creator, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, amongst its members. Basically, he knows his ghosts. The SPR's offices are, very appropriately, only a short walk from Brompton Cemetery, home of Percy Lambert's grave. Aha, uh, uh -huh, here we go. Percy Lambert, in loving memory of Percy Lambert, aged yeah. 32 years. The first man to cover 100 miles in one hour, mm -hmm. killed by accident at Brooklyn's motor racing track. This is our man. Yeah, an honest friend, a fine gentleman and a thorough sportsman. And he's got a steering wheel on his grave. Yeah. Alan, why do you think so many people see things at Brooklyn's? Well, Brooklyn's was a centre of all kinds of emotion, excitement, fear, drama, sadness, tragedy, and it's often sites where there is an intensity of emotion are often ones which produce hauntings. And indeed, when we look at accounts of apparitional sightings, particularly those collected in the 19th century in something called Phantasms of the Living, collected by the early Society of Psychical Research, a much higher proportion could be described as sudden deaths. And these show up far more than the ordinary cause of death for the population would expect. You're a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had this many reports of people seeing things in a criminal case, would you feel it merited investigation? Would you take it seriously? Absolutely. It makes a, what would be called a prima facie case, uh, where you have got well-attested cases from separate witnesses. That kind of testimony amounts to proof and has done for over 100 years. It's been used many times to convict some people of some of the offenders of some of the most serious crimes on the statute book. The thing that first drew me to this story was the way Mark told his ghost story. Or rather, didn't tell it. During all the interviews he did last year when his book was published, he told no one what he'd seen. Until me, a whole year later. And even then, he seemed kind of embarrassed that he'd written a book about the ghosts of Brooklyn's, then actually seen one. On the anniversary of Percy's death, Halloween. You have seen this ghost, haven't you? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. I mean, I was here on the day I launched my novel, and I was here very, very early. I arrived at the circuit probably around half past five in the morning, and the day was memorable because it was very, very misty. And I'd never, I'd never been to Brooklyn so early, but certainly the track was covered in a layer of mist. And I was on my own, and I happened to glance out into the distance from where we are now, just beyond the corner, um, beyond the, me the members' bridge. Okay and um, there was a figure walking along the track and I didn't really think anything more of it and the guy 
disappeared into the fog and I continued my, my day as normal. But it was only when I looked back on the day, probably a couple of months later, I thought, why would someone have been at Brooklyn's at 5.30 in the morning in all white overalls working on an exhibit? It doesn't make sense. The museum doesn't open until you know, much later in the day. Describe this figure you saw. So the figure was all dressed in white and was hunched. He looked sort of sad. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, I only saw this figure fleetingly, but it was enough for me to register that there was someone there walking away in the distance was hunched and solitary, which, you know, at that time of the morning seemed unusual. I mean, I'd, I think I'd, in my head, just assumed it was a person walking along the track. Um, and it was only later when I thought, why would someone be there at that time of the morning dressed in that way, that it didn't seem, it didn't seem right. So um, it could well have been a ghost. There might have been a more logical explanation. But given the haunted history of Brooklyn's, in my head, there's some, some real questions there. Coming up, I drive Percy's route of death. You have to maintain quite a high speed, yeah. else it slips down. Yeah. It's like a wall of death. Yeah, that's a deadly wall. Yeah, yeah. Wow, we. It was late November. There was a group of 15 of us in here, nine o'clock at night, very dark. Nobody else on the site apart from us. This is Peter one of those hardy engineering types that Brooklyn's attracts. He's been a guide here for, I think, longer than Mark's been alive. And as we came through the shed, suddenly the group smelt tobacco and it was cigar smoke. He's had his own experience here. He didn't see something. He smelt it. Nobody was smoking and there's nobody else on site, so we were wondering where it could have come from. All the doors were shut. We didn't put too much stress on it. Not until we got to the top of Test Hill half an hour later, where once again, everybody turned around and said, cigar smoke. A victory cigar for one of the long dead drivers whose pictures stare down from the museum walls. Or can the nose play tricks too? So Peter, do you think you smelt a ghost? Well, <laughs> I don't know if you can smell a ghost, but uh, <laughs> maybe it's possible. But are you a believer? Do you think Brooklyn's is haunted? Having spoken to a young man about his view, then I cannot completely, honestly say that I don't believe, because having spoken to this young man who saw so clearly and could describe it so clearly to me, that uh, there must be some substance there somewhere. This is a story that really stays with you. Oh, yes. This incident happened not on the racetrack, but under it. So, Peter, we're in almost pitch black now. Yes. It's a long tunnel. <laughs> yes, it co goes completely to the other side of the track, and the track is 100 feet wide all the way around. This is creepy. The shadows and... What's that? Oh, that's some old machinery yeah, there. Yes, old lathes. Uh-huh. And the walls with all the, the damp running down them. This is where the, the young lad went. Let me put my torch on my phone. So it's through here, in this chamber, where it happened, is it? That's right. Grandfather stayed out here in the main tunnel, but the lad walked through this doorway into the chamber at the side 
And this is where he said that he saw the man in white overalls and he called grandfather, come on, come on, have a look. Grandfather came in, but everything had gone by then. And uh, grandfather just rather dismissed it, unfortunately. Whereas the young man kept pleading with grandfather and saying, I saw him, he was definitely there. He said, I stood here and I saw the man, he was dressed in the overalls and he was working on this motorbike on the back wheel. Now, there's an association with the first motorcyclist that was ever killed here and what happened, he came around here and his wheel became loose and he crashed and was killed just on the other side of the start and finish straight. Now, Arthur Morehouse, this was 1912, famous motorcyclist here at Brooklands. One wonders if, as the boy saw, that Arthur does come to life now and again to remind us of his place at Brooklands. So this also chimes with what Mark saw. Mark said he saw a figure in white overalls. Is that a figure that keeps coming up, people see somebody in white overalls? Well, so many people either worked in white overalls or even a lot of people drove in white overalls as well. So it's a fairly common uh, piece of kit around here altogether. Why do you think people see things at Brooklands? Always where there are unfortunate deaths always seem to create uh, stories. Sometimes I'm sure that they are embroidered upon. But one or two do seem to stick and this, this is certainly the one case that I've come across where the young boy was absolutely positive. I'm glad to be back in the daylight, but even on a sunny day, Brooklyn's is having a strange effect on me. This grey, looming ruin with its bloody past, claimer of the lives of young men who'd made promises to their sweethearts, but never returned. It is, literally, haunting. Finally, it's time for me to drive what's left of the Brooklyn's course. Hello, sir. Sure. I'm Danny. I'm, Danny. I'm your passenger. How are you? What's what? your name? Uh, John is my name. Hello, actually. John. Hello. And what, what car have we got here? It's a 1935 uh, Railson. It was built in Cobham. Just down the road from here. Just down the road from here. And uh, it was owned by a very famous motorcyclist in pre-war days, Eric Furnihill. And he sadly was killed in the late 30s. Not a lot of people associated with this place met natural ends, did they? Not really. No, they didn't. This is it, Percy. We're driving in your tyre tracks. Well, it is, yeah. Oh, wow. There we are. Are we going to hit 100 in this? Uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) Okay. I'll get in, I'll get in. No, no, no safety belt, I noticed. Oh, here we go. Put your foot down. So we, we're actually going onto the track where Percy would have raced to them. Indeed, we, we are. Even when we're not going that fast, you can really feel the angle on this track. You can, actually, can't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That, you see, we're really leaning to the side now. I'm holding on just to make sure I don't That's fall right, out. That's right, exactly right. <laughs> Is that, that door definitely shut? I won't, I won't go too far up, so we'll lose you. Um, but you can but, see that you need, when you're going quite very fast. Yeah. That. Well, hey. It's the gyroscopic effect, yeah, really, yeah. holds you up there. But, uh, uh, yeah, only the speed would hold you up. That's right. it, it is a wall of death, essentially, isn't it? That, it? that really sums it up in, 
many respects. Go and floor it, John, go. Hey! Let's go, isn't it? It does, it does. That's great. So this car we're driving, John, is from the 1930s, is that right? 1930s. And, and so th this is like 20 years on, technology-wise, from Percy's car. Th yeah, this doesn't feel very right. safe to me, I'll be honest. We're, <laughs> we're rattling around, no safety belts, no roof, glass windscreen in front of us that could shatter in our faces. How would it compare to Percy's? Uh, it would be a total safe, safe luxury. <laughs> you've seen, you've seen his, how he sat on, sat on his car, and no protection whatsoever. It was very dangerous. So this is just towards the spot where Percy met his end? It would be here. OK. How does it make you feel driving on a track where so many people met their death? Well, it's a bit of a weird experience, to be honest, but, um, yeah, I've done it many times. It's funny, that the track itself feels almost like a ghost now. Looking out, it feels... Well, there's a kind of eeriness to it, the way it's, it's you know, this kind of patchwork of broken-up concrete and... A sort of real remnant of what it was. To be honest, if you stand up there on a moonlight night in the autumn when it's dark, you do get that feeling of something around, you know. You, you get that aura when you stand up there and look back this way. And you can imagine them thundering around the track with the, these oily, noisy motor cars. Uh, people sitting on them, not in them, not modern racing cars. But you, you get a feeling, you suddenly think, ah, the imagination starts to, to overcome you. Yeah. I've got something that Alan said stuck in my head. The link between violent deaths and ghosts. Are all the sightings at Brooklands some kind of collective aftershock? The mind's attempt to make sense of senseless death to humanise the unforgiving concrete. And I wonder if, in a way, these visions, these sightings, are our way of processing this, of trying to understand these terrible things that happened at Brooklands. Well, there could very well be psychological expectation effects where somebody believes that an area is haunted in the same way as you might feel if you told somebody uh, that a certain spot a murder had been committed there. You might start to have feelings about it, which, of course, generated really from your own subconscious. Also, it's a big open space and area and the elements uh, are, are present, the wind whistles round. It's conceivable that particularly the noises are in fact a construct of the brain of the listener rather than something paranormal. Where shadows fall, we will find ghosts. And men like Percy leave long shadows. You know, these guys were... Um not just thrill seekers, they were, you know, achieving something that no man had really kind of done before in a car. It was it's, uh, really quite impressive. Uh, it's like Icarus, you know, they flew too close to the sun and they got burned. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's a very poetic way of putting it. Indeed. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, they, they, I mean, they, they pushed it too far, didn't they? they you know, Percy took it too far, he risked it one too many times yeah, I and paid for it. Continuing your analogy, you know, the cars were much like wax wings if you had a, a failure uh, or flew too close to the sun in your case, you were going to get burned. And um, yeah, in, the, in this case, the fallout was a, a very serious and often fatal accident. Thanks to Mark 
and the others at Brooklyn's Museum for telling me their story. If you've had a ghostly experience, we'd like to hear from you. We're on Facebook and Twitter, or send an email to haunted at panoply.fm. If you like the show, why not review us, rate us, or just tell someone you know? Haunted is a Chalk and Blade production for Panoply. It was written and presented by me, Danny Robbins. The producers are Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeter, and Simon Barnard. Music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. Jesse Brown painted our artwork. And special thanks to Ryan Dilley and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Until next time, sleep well. Your next audiobook listen, All Hallows by Christopher Golden. This supernatural thriller is eerily set on Halloween night in 1984. Family dramas are coming to a head, a neighborhood is falling apart, and four kids who don't belong show up to add a creepy level of mystery to an already unsettled scene. That's all before the real thrill and gore begin. This deadly thriller by New York Times best-selling author Christopher Golden is now available on Spotify.